This is an ABC podcast. The Paralympics is perhaps the most uplifting sporting event on the planet. Athletes who have overcome significant adversity to achieve remarkable feats on a global stage, right? Well, what if athletes, including Australian ones, were gaming the system, exaggerating impairment in a bid to win medals? Would that be cheating? What might that do to the Paralympic movement? It'd be pretty grim, right? Well, the Four Corners investigation has uncovered some troubling stories that threaten the credibility of the Games. I'm Patrick Stack. This is ABC Sport Daily. Hagar Cohen is an investigative journalist for Four Corners who are releasing their story on the Paralympics tonight on ABC TV. Hagar, this is quite a stunning story. And to understand it best, I think it's kind of helpful to broadly understand the Paralympic classification system. Can you just give us a brief summation of how that works? Yeah, so the classification system at the Paralympics is really stands at the core of the Games. Without it, there are no Games because it basically is used to, you know, even the playing level field in competition. What it means is that athletes are divided into groups of competition based on the level of their impairments so that an athlete who's got a particular type of impairment that impacts their sport in a in one way is not competing against someone whose impairments are, are much less severe, for example. If you think about non-disabled sport, it's a bit like weight divisions, right? So you don't expect someone who's 50 kilos to compete against someone who is 90 kilos in boxing, for instance. Mm -hmm. It's the same in the Paralympics. They're just assessed according to how their impairments or disabilities affect their sport. And what has your story uncovered around the Paralympic classification system and how it might be compromised? So we looked into an issue known in the jargon as intentional misrepresentation. That's when athletes deliberately exaggerate or fake their impairments or disabilities so that they can win more medals or win more easily. You can imagine athletes who train for years and years to get to that level of elite sport show up in competition. You know, they're at the peak of their career in the Paralympics all of a sudden they're finding that um, they're competing against people who are much less disabled than them and they stand no chance. The International Paralympic Committee, you know, obviously a, a significant governing body, have they acknowledged that there is a problem? So the International Paralympics Committee are going through a process of review of the Code of Classification. So that's happening at the moment. Interestingly, as part of this review, they've asked for feedback from, you know, a lot of their insiders, a lot of people from the movement itself to say, you know, is the system working or not? We found those documents and they're quite shocking in that you see classifiers, high ranking officials from all over the world raising very serious concerns about how widespread intentional misrepresentation is. And the other issue that they've raised is that there are really no repercussions for people who do that. There's no system to capture that. And classifiers who you could imagine like see that all the time around them, they know when it happens, feel powerless to do anything about it. We also spoke to the former CEO of the International Paralympics Committee. Uh, he was a CEO for 15 years until 2019. For the first time publicly, he spoke out about the problem. Yes, it, it was a problem or an issue. The leaders of the different nations or 
coaches and the administrators and everyone knew that this was something that the IPC was concerned about. Uh, acknowledged it existed and actually took responsibility for it as well. But yes, ultimately, if something has failed somewhere, I never wanted to put things under the carpet. Anytime a story like this breaks, I think Australian sports fans are going to want to know if our athletes are under question. I mean, you spoke to Jane Buckley, who was a chief classifier with the IPC, a medical director for the Australian Paralympic team. What did she say about Australian athletes? It is an international problem. It's not just Australian. And in her role as chief classifier for the IPC, she saw that everywhere, not just in Australia. I guess her problem in Australia was that when she tried to raise it with the Australian Paralympic Committee, she faced resistance. There was a deep reluctance on the side of the Australian Paralympic Committee to do something about it. I was astounded. I I can remember thinking at the time, oh my goodness, this organisation is more concerned about medals than doing the right thing. She was quite alarmed about it and in the end decided that she didn't want to continue and she left the sport because of that. There are a number of case studies in your report. What can you tell us about Stuart Jones? Stuart Jones is an interesting case. He is a paracyclist competing in the trike division, so trike three wheels. There is a very strict rule if you are able to ride on a two-wheel bike because of any kind of balance-related disorders or restrictions around pedaling, then you're not, you can't qualify for the trike division. What we found is a record of Stuart Jones racing for a number of years on a, two, on a two-wheel bike with his local cycling club, you know, he spoke to his cycling club members who said, yes, he was a very tough competitor mm. on a two-wheel bike. He raced against us a number of times, never had any balancing issues, never kind of fell over his bike, didn't seem to have any issues around safety. And then they were interested when all of a sudden he showed up on a trike and then started riding on a bike again. So he did that interchangeably for a period of about 18 months, and that's against the rules. Mm. Stuart Jones did not respond to any of our questioning. He's going through defamation proceedings that deal with allegations similar to these. What can you tell us about Amanda Reid? She won a gold medal at the Tokyo Games. What about her story raised concerns? Yes, so she's also a very interesting uh, character in the Paralympics and also one of the more, more controversial ones within the Paralympic movement. She started her sporting career in non-disabled sport. She won national titles in speed skating, which is not even a sport uh, that is in the Paralympics because, you know, you can imagine how, Mm. you know, you need to be very coordinated to, to be doing this sport. That was at the age of 10. And then in her early teens, she made the switch to parasport. She started in um, intellectual disabled swimming and went to the London Paralympics in 2012 um, in a class based on her intellectual disability. So no physical disability as far as anyone knew. A couple of years later, the para-swimming community were interested to see her showing up to the pool deck with a white cane. She changed her classification to vision impairment and started competing as a vision impaired swimmer. A few months later, she no longer used the white cane and changed her classification to a physical impairment, being cerebral palsy. So I have a quad CP, so it affects my arms 
and both my legs. And so my left side is weaker than my right. Which really concerned a lot of the, the para-swimming community who never saw, you know, never witnessed, never knew anything about her having a, a physical disability. And in fact, one of her old coaches who coached her when she was intellectually disabled was so angered about this that he wrote a letter to Paralympics Australia and to the IPC saying that her case devalues the classification system and makes Australia a joke um, in the international community. We gave some footage to an expert who was a classifier who specialises in cerebral palsy who was very perplexed how an athlete can, who claims to have cerebral palsy can look very disabled in one video and then a few months later look like they have no um, difficulties with their coordination or walking. It's really important to say that we haven't seen uh, Amanda Reed's medical records. Mm. We don't know what her impairments are. We're not saying she doesn't have cerebral palsy and she wouldn't respond to our questions. I suppose we're saying that the classification process and the circumstances around that raise you know, some serious questions about the process. She um, competed in Tokyo and won gold for Australia as a paracyclist. So she switched to cycling. Because of my um, cerebral palsy, this side of my bike um, doesn't work. So the gears don't work on that side or the brakes. So if we come over to the right-hand side of my bike, both brakes go through this, through this brake from the little brake splitter here. And she competes in the second most disabled class in her division in cycling. These are deeply concerning case studies that you've uncovered. Uh, What should the governing bodies be doing to ensure that things are as fair as they possibly can be? So the governing bodies, obviously, we spoke to them about this. They they know about the story coming up and they're saying that, you know, allegations of, again, intentional misrepresentation are very serious. They're taking it very seriously. We'll deal with it when it happens. Again, the classification code is being reviewed by the International Paralympic Committee and they're acknowledging that it's an evolving code. They're investing a lot in researching a better classification system that's more evidence-based. It sounds as though from what you're saying, this is all tantamount to cheating. Um, If that's the case, what do you think this story could do to the Paralympic movement? This is not new, right? So... I don't know if you remember, but in Sydney 2000, the Paralympics here, there was a huge scandal about the uh, intellectually disabled basketball team from Spain. Do you remember that one? Yeah. So 10 out of 12 of the basketball players were not disabled at all. They were stripped off their gold medal at the time. And really, we're looking at similar circumstances here. Within the Paralympic movement, it's an open secret that that kind of thing just happens and is accepted to various levels, you know. It's almost like a, an inside joke now that for certain classes there has been this ongoing misrepresentation and as a classifier you have to be aware that it's happening the whole time. And I guess it's been put in the too hard basket for a very long time because to prove intention that someone is deliberately doing this is really hard, right? And And so it's easy to just... Ignore it. I'm really hoping, though, that this story is going to kickstart another conversation amongst the movement and get everybody's brains around, well, how are we going to deal with this issue, particularly, you know, ahead of Paris 2024?
Hagar, it's going to be a fantastic story. We can't wait to watch. Thanks so much for your time. Thank you, Patrick. Headlines. Did you see the Formula One fans on the Melbourne track before the race was officially over? Pretty punchy way to get a good shot for your Instagram stories, I would have thought. Australian Grand Prix boss Andrew Westercott has promised an investigation into how they broke the security lines. It kind of underlined a generally chaotic GP that was stopped three times and ended under a safety car. Max Verstappen won the race, while homeboy Oscar Piastri scored his maiden world championship points in eighth. Lewis Hamilton was delighted to finish second, but says his car is way off the pace. It could be worse, Lewis. Your teammate George Russell, his car literally caught on fire. Russell dropping down the order, and the British driver has a failure. The one-time race leader is out. They need a fire marshal there. Chance for barbecue off the back of that. That's a proper old-school failure. A new memorandum of understanding between Cricket Australia and the Australian Cricketers Association has seen a 66% increase in pay for the nation's female cricketers. The top CA contract holder could earn more than $800,000 a year under the rejig, while at the other end of the spectrum, those who do not play for Australia but are involved in events like the WBBL and the Women's National Cricket League will average above $150,000. Nice little earner. CA says that would make them, on average, the highest paid female players in team sports in Australia. It is Masters Week at Augusta National, and that means Greg Norman stories. The Live Chief Executive says he has not been invited to the event this year. Norman also claims that if one of the Live players wins the event, the other 17 playing will be waiting on the 18th green to congratulate the victor. Imagine the optics of that in golf's not-so-cold war. Interestingly, Cam Smith is the only Live golfer who has been asked to give a pre-Masters press conference by organisers. We will have more on this story later this week. Because, hey, who doesn't love the Masters? I'm Patrick Stack. This is ABC Sport Daily, produced by Poppy Penny. Make sure you watch Chagar's full story on Four Corners. If you miss it on ABC TV at 8.30pm Monday night, you can find it on iView. I reckon it's one you probably want to catch. Thanks to Formula One for the extra audio used in this episode. Discover more great ABC podcasts, live radio and exclusives on the ABC Listen app.